0: Welcome back to the Librarian Linkover Podcast. I am your host, Laureen Kennard. Last week, my guest was a school librarian who talked about her experience with book challenges. We are back this week with another super timely topic, job hunting. My guest today is award-winning librarian, Steve Amadown. Steve has a long career as a librarian and archivist. He is doing freelance work while he looks for his next opportunity. He is the 2019 winner of the Kathy Lynns Librarian of the Year Award, Steve. Welcome to the Librarian Linkover.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: What do you think people get wrong about archives? I ask specifically because archives have been in the news a lot lately with the National Archives trying to get boxes of documents back from the former president. I would love libraries and archives to get more attention so we get more respect for what we do. But in this case, most of the time we are mentioned, the old stereotype is in full effect.
1: Oh boy, I mean, I think that archives are frequently both over and underestimated. Um, you know, I think that people think of archives as as the sort of the one sole arbiter of truth in terms of the record, and that it, that is rarely the case. Um, but at the same time, if you know what you're looking for, archives can open up a whole new world of investigation and history and and things like that. So I I think that's really the biggest thing. And and that's certainly come up in the case with uh, the former president of people think both think that the National Archives is going to save democracy somehow, which that's not their job. They are the record keepers. That's it. Um, And also that somehow the National Archives is this devious underhanded organization. Also not true. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> you know, they're a lovely group of dedicated civil servants, for the most part, um, who are just trying to, to work within the same sort of underfunded uh, government agency structure that everybody else is. So, you know, I think that's really the thing is it's sort of there's a romantic notion uh, that that kind of like over and undersells archives in a lot of ways.
0: I like that. I'm going to be using that over and under a pre-
1: estimated. I like yeah. that.
0: So can you talk about some of the projects you've done as a freelancer?
1: um so yeah, so it the freelance work has it's frequently hard to come by these days um there are a lot of especially you know a lot of what I've done is writing, and there are a lot of freelance writers out there um, who are you know both within and outside of the media sphere um, kind of by their trade um so it can be hard to sneak in there I've done um I wrote an article for Library Journal um, last year. I think it was last year. <laughs> uh, time is non-existent <laughs> at this point, um, you know. And, and then I, I recently did uh, finished a, a feature article uh, for Fine Books and Collections Magazine uh, that was actually the cover article for their their summer edition about uh, collecting romance novels, which was a lot of fun. And that that sort of, you know. As an archivist, I love telling stories. And and so, you know, moving towards sort of writing more about things that I'm interested in or or things that I see out there is kind of a natural extent for me. Um, And then also, I've actually, I've been volunteering at uh, my daughter's school library, which has has been a lot of fun. And it also kind of, uh, it's a new experience for me. As an archivist, many aspects of librarianship seem like wizardry. Uh, So, you know, to to kind of to kind of get my toe back in there and, you know, interact with kids and help them sort of finding books and, you know, dealing with sort of the chaos that is a class of third graders is is a lot of fun in some ways. So
0: as long as you know, you don't have to do it every day forever. Right.
1: Yeah, I, I do it for uh, three hours on Monday and one hour on Tuesday, and it takes all day Wednesday to recover. Like, I, <laughs> you know, blessed bless bless be the third grade teachers and the school librarians, because uh, to do that all day, every day would. day, I'm, I'm not quite there. I'd have to start working out, I told people. I'd, I'd have to, like, <laughs> really, really put in some hours to, uh, to be able to do that all the time.
0: So this next question, we probably could have a whole day or week-long symposium on. Um, but what do you think are the top two or three issues in libraries today, good or bad, libraries and archives?
1: Um, you know, I think the, the biggest issue, and, and certainly the one that's top of mind for most of us, is uh, dealing with um, book challenges and the perceptions that have come along with those. Um, and all of that is attached to sort of what I think are the other issues, which is um, Funding and uh, care of employees. I think that yes, you know, we we don't the the profession as a whole, um, and and sort of I mean the the libraries, archives, and museums profession has has long sort of abused its employees, um, you know, through this sort of vocational awe idea um, that you know we of you're willing to work for less because you see it as a vocation and and that's just bs and i think that's the biggest thing and then you add on to this this sort of political layer of the book challenges um the attacks on the national archives uh you know sort of some of these issues of of of, um archival mismanagement that's been coming out especially at uh the university of pennsylvania um in their museums and in their archives um there there's a lot sort of out there that that i think is simmering some of these employment issues to the surface because we're like we don't have to put up with this we we have the skills to go elsewhere we can go to corporate archives we can go you know work for vendors and and things like that so i think that is causing sort of a brain drain from libraries that um i've seen a lot of people you know i graduated from The University of Maryland in 2014 and I've seen a lot of people from my cohort sort of end up outside of libraries, for better or worse, whether they intended to at the beginning or not, but like these are really incredible people who should be. Working full time in libraries and archives to to sort of help move the profession forward and they're kind of shunted off, you know by these money issues and 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 all of these other things so it's I think it's all tied together. Um, as you know, as as far as I'm concerned, it is, it all comes down to taxes and funding and, and all of that in the end.
0: The only thing I would add to that is leadership.
1: Yeah. yeah. Most
0: boards, yes, yeah, well, I shouldn't it, say most boards that I've worked for really didn't mm-hmm. understand how the library worked. And when they want to do what they want to do, it just throws everything yeah. off.
1: Yeah. And and I think that they get caught up in these sort of do more with less attitudes that are are detrimental to to sort of the entire concept of libraries, especially as we've eroded the social safety net, Um, even on college campuses, we've eroded these safety nets and and students rely more and more on the library um, to have to be a safe study space, to be a tutoring space, whatever. Um, You know, we keep seeing these cuts that are not, funding collections, they're not funding buildings, all of these things. Um, And it's just, yeah, it's just hugely detrimental in the end.
0: I interviewed Fabazi Itar, who coined the term vocational awe, and everyone should read her article. She's the best,
1: I love her. She's everything.
0: Um, And we were talking about that, and I talked about some of my experiences. Like when I was a reference librarian in a public library, I couldn't even maybe just like eat because someone needed help printing. They couldn't wait five minutes for me to eat a sandwich over the course of my like eight-hour day. You barely get a chance to eat Mm -hmm. because no one else in the library can help them print but me. But so I, you know, you don't even get a break. Yeah. And no other employer really has that expectation. There are no other profession. Not many other professions have that expectation. Yeah, I think, um, and, and to your point also about, I think public libraries need to stop doing other government entities' jobs, particularly the health department. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: The libraries are the bottom of the tax bill. They should not be doing the job that health department needs to send some people in to do some of these jobs instead of the library. Yeah, that that whole but I think public libraries sometimes ask for this. I think they're afraid of being irrelevant. Mm -hmm. So leadership wants to do all this stuff, but they're killing their staff.
1: Yeah, and and that's true at academic libraries as well. You know, academic libraries are in this phase where they, they know that large chunks of administrations and faculty sort of wonder why the library is still there. So they, they will take on more and more and it it just overloads these sort of staff positions that never get backfilled when when somebody leaves um, or they're backfilled at a lower level and, and it doesn't, you know, you lose, so much, just, just in that, that sort of churn and turnover.
0: Every once in a while, you'll see, um, like, some, somebody hired a consultant to find out, like, why morale is bad. Well, you know, when you're doing three jobs for less pay, I mean, yeah. it's really not that hard. Yeah. And then, yeah. why are we not in that business of being those consultants, charging 50 grand to tell <laughs> them, maybe you could pay them a little more, treat them a little better, and right. not have them do so much work? <laughs> they wouldn't leave. Yeah. It's not that hard.
1: Yeah. We're in the wrong, bi- we're in the wrong we business are. somehow. We, yeah. are. <laughs>
0: we need to look into that. <laughs> um, no, yeah. I, I completely agree. They, these are like the, the biggest problems we have. Yeah. And I think, um, vocational awe is right up there that kind of sets the, mm-hmm. sets the table. And I think the stereotype is killing us. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, it's, yeah. It's nostalgic I
0: that... and, in. People think of like their children's librarian, that's how they think of the library and that's not even mm-hmm. what it is anymore.
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah.
0: So following that, if you were a library school professor who wanted to include freelancing in a course, what are some ideas you would present?
1: So I think there's a few things that you need to think about if, if you're considering Doing any sort of freelancing generally, but especially as someone who's sort of with a library background, is one uh, exploiting your other skills. Um, Most of us went to library school after doing something else, Um, you know, getting a degree in something else, or or having another career or whatever. Um, So you know, if you love to write or you have a specialization, subject specialty, you know, look look in those areas and see how you can um, exploit that because, you know, I, I think that we forget that library school is vocational um, in the sense that you're, you're learning skills to, to apply what you already know as a human being into the world of libraries. It's not like you're learning, um, you know, sociology or history or, or whatever. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing is just understanding that you have other skills and you can you can find ways to use them, um, whether it's uh, consulting or writing or giving presentations um, and things like that. Uh, talking about you know maybe it's collection development, maybe it's uh, you know book reviews or, or things like. There's a lot of avenues that you can sort of use your your natural ability as as a storyteller, as a librarian, um, to do that. I think, um, uh, I lost my train of thought. You know, I think that, yeah. I think the other thing is knowing your worth. Um, You know, I've I've come close to accepting certain freelancing gigs over the last year um, that have then fallen apart because I will tell them what I'm willing to charge an hour. Um, And they're like whoa hey whoa this this last person didn't ask for that so we're not going to give that to you and like well it was a pleasure talking to you. Um, You know understand what you're worth understand what your time, whether it's. um, You know the time you need to do research or the time you have to you know access the Internet like you're you're paying for Internet, so you know you should you should include that in your costs and what your hourly rate should be. Um, you know, and obviously negotiate, but don't, don't sell yourself short. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, a lot of us, again, going back to the idea of vocational all, like I think a lot of librarians are willing to accept less for prestige or just for having something to do um, in a in a particular situation. And, and I don't think we should uh, we should let ourselves sort of get sucked into that if we
0: don't value ourselves, how do we expect anyone else to value us?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that goes for anything. I mean, if you're, even if you're taking your library skills to a corporate level or, or whatever, like don't, don't just sit there because, because you have come from academia and you know that what they offer you is what you're going to get, like push, like push on that a little bit. And if they say no, then it wasn't meant to be. Um, you know, I think that's, that's advice that I'm, i know is out there, but I don't think it gets sort of talked about enough um, and I in think, terms of especially libraries. Well, librarians are
0: sometimes afraid of making money. They think mm-hmm. it's bad, so Absolutely. they they don't want to ask for more because they don't because of vocational law.
1: Yeah, there's sort of yeah there's a, 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 a there's an anti we anti corporate mindsets are good. But there is a point where it is, it, if it inhibits your ability to do the work, then you, you have to really think about that and whether that's, that's useful. Because um, you can make money and donate to causes and do the work of uh, social justice without selling yourself short in a situation. Like you gotta, you gotta push for, for what you're worth, absolutely.
0: When I think when you're freelancing, what you're charging is so much more than what you would make as an employee that people are uncomfortable mm-hmm. asking for that. But most places, that's a business expense. They're expecting it to be that rate because they understand you've got overhead, you have a business, you're not, it's, they're not paying you as an employer.
1: Right. Right. You have to pay your own taxes. You have to do all this other stuff. And yeah, it feels weird saying I'm worth. $125 an hour, but, but really that's what you're worth. Um, and that's what you're worth to your academic library job as well. They just don't, uh, they don't want to pay you for that. It's so, not weird. Yeah, I think that's...
0: Say it, ask for yeah, it, yeah. and yeah. it's not
1: weird. Absolutely. And if they say no, then you you walk away. That's right. I think that's yeah. the other hard part is, um, you know, especially, you know, I'm, I'm 48. I, I grew up in a period where you took the job because you needed a job, and but you know you, you, we're in a position w- right now where the the job market is such that you know you can go do something else or you can you can hopefully find something else relatively quickly. Um, you know I've started to see more library jobs bouncing back, um, particularly academic jobs, but also some public you know director jobs and. And things like that. So there are other other jobs out there. Um, and again, you know, as as you evangelize, sort of looking looking beyond that, looking beyond that sphere, and, and looking at you know whether it's a corporate job or consulting, um, you know, there are other thing, other ways to make your money.
0: Well, I appreciate you talking about all of our transferable skills and using them outside of libraries, because that's why I'm doing my podcast. So thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, one more thing I will add to this: one of my guests. Was a cataloger. She had a lot of contract jobs. She finally, like, uh-huh. she couldn't take all this moving and all this negotiating every nine, six months for new contract jobs. She got a job in industry. Immediately doubled her pay doing the exact same job.
1: Mm-hmm. It can yeah. be done. It can be done. It's hard. It's you know, it's work, but you, you can you can do it. And you know, it can it can take time, but it but it can be done absolutely.
0: you were in your dream job and you're not anymore. Can you talk about what has happened since the end of 2020?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, I uh, moved to Ohio to take a job at Bowling Green State University um, in their pop culture library. It was uh, the thing I said I wanted to do when I left library school, (laughs) that I wanna work with pop culture collections. I was there for five years and had a great time and worked with a lot of cool stuff and amazing people. Um, but as I think a lot of us experienced during the pandemic, you know, priorities change, and I needed to be there for my child. And we were starting to get these sort of pushes to to have our butts in the seats at the library. Um, those things were in heavy conflict for me, and I could not. I couldn't get. administration to move on it um so i just said you know i'm fortunate enough my partner makes enough for where we live that that i could go without work for now um and it was just like okay i'm I'm making this decision for for me for my family um, first and foremost and and deal with sort of the the career consequences later um because that's what needed to be done you know my daughter was Doing school from home at that point, you know, my wife and I were sort of switching off half days because we were both working at home, um, and it just was not tenable. I, I think for all of us, and so this this became a better option, you know. And and taking taking it was a difficult but easy decision at the same time. You know, I was I was happy to do it. Um, I was able to do it, so I I was just like I this is, this is the time. So, and I think a lot of us have made those sort of decisions over the last couple of years. Um, I know I'm, I'm definitely not alone in that. And I think that, you know, as, as those of us who do that, re-enter the job market over the next few years, I hope that employers are willing to look at that and say, ah, there's someone who did what he had to do. And, you know, yeah, there's a resume gap, but it's, you know, it was because of a, of, uh, a deeply moral decision in the end.
0: The thing that gets me about your story and others like it, that it's so unnecessary. If you want to keep a good employee, let them work from home a couple of days a week. Yeah. I, I just don't, yeah. I don't understand the long view that why would you want to replace a good employee? I don't know. if I right. think they and don't think people will leave is what
1: it is. They don't think people yeah, will I, leave. I think that Um, I think there's a lot of factors. I think that you're right that they don't think people will leave. And I think they also have looked at um, the churn of students coming out of library schools over the last 10 years. And are like, okay, someone's going to take this job. You know, it doesn't have to be the perfect person. You know, it's someone who will take it. And they might move on, but we can find the next person. Um, And that, I think, gets to a broader question about LIS education and requirements um that you know I think we've churned out too many librarians, but you know that that has left the station. There's not much we can do about that. So I think that, you know, again, this comes back to librarians um, not just taking jobs and, and sort of pushing for what you're worth so that you don't end up in these situations. Um, you know, and and contract work is another thing that has sort of undermined all of that as well. That you know, uh, an Ivy League school shouldn't uh, rely on two-year contract archivists, and that that's a whole other soapbox that I could spend an hour on. Um, <laughs> but that's that's just it's unnecessary, and it shows you know that your values are, I think, in the wrong place um, when when you do stuff like that.
0: Those are basically temp jobs.
1: Yeah, they really are, and and they want you to move to. Boston or you know upstate New York or, or California or whatever and expect you to just after two years move on and that's that's a recipe for killing your profession because we're just we're not we're, we're not animals like we can't we can't just shuffle around we're, we need to like have roots and and be in places long term and and being in a place where you want to be is also a recipe for a happy employee who does good work. Uh, you know you want them to to stick around.
0: And I think there are some times when libraries have the need for a few months of a person. But I think mm-hmm. that, like you said, that has gone to the extreme of a two year temp job. What kind of project is a two year project that like once right. that project's over, there's nothing else for that person to do? That you couldn't have hired them as an employee right. and there are other things they could keep doing.
1: Right, you're you're letting them build up institutional knowledge for two years and then sending that knowledge out the door. Um, you know, I think that over the last couple of years I, I've definitely developed more of a soft spot for part-time work. I feel like I understand that better within archives and libraries. You know, again, as someone who's been a stay-at-home dad and thinking about you know, my daughter has to be at school at nine and pick her up at three, and you know that is that is a shorter than normal day. So I understand part time work a lot better, but contract work, I just I can't wrap my head around how we how we keep that going as a profession. And and it's endemic in archives right now. It's it's really it's been awful since I graduated from grad school eight years ago. Um, And it just, I feel like it hasn't gotten a whole lot better, unfortunately.
0: Well, that sort of leads me to my next question, excuse me, about job hunting. So let's dig into that. Mm -hmm. The process is broken. There's a giant disconnect between what employers are looking for and what candidates can offer. Librarians in particular have a problem with employers recognizing our transferable skills. Thus, my podcast, (laughs) like I said before. uh, What have you experienced (laughs) during your search? And what do you think would make the process work for everyone? And this is another week-long symposium that we'll have sometime in the future.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think the biggest thing is just, um, like you said, sort of realistic expectations around skills. Um, there are a lot of, uh, especially lower-level jobs, where you read the ad and it's like they're, they're looking for a unicorn. Um, you know they want someone who has experience with eight different software packages, and um, you know, but also can do uh, you know reference work and outreach work and cataloging. And you're just like, this person's going to be very tired at the end of the day. And they <laughs> want one to three you know, years like... of
0: experience because they don't want to pay anything. Right.
1: Right. Exactly. And and so it's it it creates a. Uh, Uh, a situation where you're not going to get the quality of person you want because you've asked for, frankly, too much. And I understand that libraries are in this situation because they can't hire two people. So they want to hire one person who can do two people's jobs. Um, But at the same time, like, you know, I'm, I'm only one person. Like I, in my last position at Bowling Green, I was hired to do two jobs. And at any given time I was only doing one of them well, and it it would flip flop, I could do, you know, some things really well one time and some things really well another, Uh, but I never felt like I was on top of it. And I think that that's, that's pretty typical these days for, for librarians that we just feel like we're always behind the eight ball on a project or, you know, an idea that we're trying to execute or, or whatever. You know, and it, and it just, I think in the end, it impacts the work. Um, And I think in terms of job seeking it, you know, it, again, that heeds this, uh, this machine of creating, you know, they want librarians who are technically gifted, but they're not looking for the, the librarians who are, you know, doing the collection development work and things like that, that, that also needs to be done. Um, because libraries have stor- historically just been so far behind in, te- in technological development. Archives are, are a real problem with this, um, because digital archive work is, is years behind where I think most of us in the field want it to be. Um, and you can't do that at a library level and be good at reference and outreach and all these other things. Um, so it's 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 a tricky thing. I think that's the biggest thing It's just find finding ways to hire more than one person <laughs> well, when you need more than one person.
0: But your point before about um, and I don't remember if this was before we started recording, but <clears throat> excuse me. Um, instead of doing more with less, we'll do mm-hmm. less with less.
1: Right, because yeah, I, think I think less with yeah. When
0: when you lose a person. We can't just pass the work out. We have to take a look and see at least half of something, half of something, some job we've got to stop doing because we can't we can't manage everything. Um, I learned from, right. when I worked in a corporation, my friend was the facilities manager. Her manager came to her one day and said, we're probably looking at some budget cuts. And she's like, okay, well, just let me know. He goes, well, I thought you would be mad. She goes, I will provide service up to the level of the budget you give me.
1: That's it. And that's what he he didn't cut the budget.
0: He didn't cut it. And I did that as well. When I was a public library director, one of my public libraries I started at, the adult services person was retiring. And she waited Mm -hmm. until the new director came in. She made sure that it wasn't because of me. (laughs) She was just waiting for the director. But she spent half her time on the desk and half the time doing programs. So she met with me about Mm -hmm. her job description and said, just so you know, the board doesn't want to replace me. I said, well, who do they think is going to do your job? And she pointed at me. I said,
1: "Yeah, <laughs>
0: I appreciate you telling me that. That's not happening." Yeah. So when I met with the board yeah. person about the budget, we were going through everything, and she pointed out, "Oh yeah, we're not going to replace that person." I said, "Oh okay, let me look at her job description." And I said, um, "If we don't replace her, this won't happen. This won't happen. This won't happen. This won't happen. I'm good with that. If you're good with that, and I just moved on to the next line, because they expect yeah. to fight. They expect to, like you know, they expect me to jump up and down and wave my arms." Like I have done a few times, but I was just like, okay, I'm fine. And I just moved on. She called me later in the day and said, you know, I've been thinking, I think we probably should keep that position. I'm like, great. And I went in and told her, I said, you know, thanks for telling me because we're replacing you when you leave. So I think we have to push back. We have, I mean, we may not be successful because I haven't always been successful pushing back, but you still have to stand up for your people and for your budget and for your organization and say, well, let's take a look at this. Maybe there's some things Mm -hmm. we aren't going to do anymore. And as long as you're okay with it, then great.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's a brilliant reframing of it. I think that, um, you know, understanding like the limitations of library administration, if administrators and, and deans and directors are willing to just sort of push back on that idea and just say, well, we can't do this then, we can't do tutoring if you, if you won't fill this faculty position or, or whatever. Um, yeah, give them, give them the idea of, of what they're gonna lose out on. Um, I think that's so key. And, I, and, and it goes back to your, your point about leadership. Like all of these things tie back to leadership in one way or another. And I think that we are not I think that as a profession, we're not training leaders. We're training uh, we're training directors, we're training heads of departments. Um, you know, in academic libraries, the you know, often the department head is someone who it's just their turn. I, instead of someone who has gotten extra training, and understands you know, how to deal with HR issues, how to deal with budgeting and collection development and all these things. Um, you know, and, and again, we do a disservice to those people by not giving them that training. Or if they're like, I can't do this, we should say, okay, we'll move on to the next person. Right, like instead of saddling your department for multiple years, maybe you, you look at it and, and don't just escalator that person up because it's their turn. Um, you know, and the same goes in public libraries with directors and assistant directors. Like it shouldn't just be, this person wants to make more money, so they are now an assistant director um, or something like along those lines.
0: When I see sometimes folk library directors sort of in the Chicago area where I am, where I know some of the people, and sometimes like the person will get the job as a director and you look them up and you're just like, how did that even, why would they even apply for that job? Like how are they even in that hiring pool? But a lot of times, right. the board likes them. Yeah, but I think a lot of and that high... happens in the oh, go
1: ahead. No, and and that happens in the corporate world too. And and sometimes you have to deal with it, but you have to understand that there are ramifications for not, uh, not cr- not choosing a leader or not creating a leader through t- through you know constant training and and. Giving people opportunities to learn, um, you know, yeah. If someone doesn't want to be a leader, they shouldn't be. That's that's like business 101 right
0: there. Well, I think boards hire someone they like that doesn't necessarily have the skills to be a director. Uh-huh. That director is hiring people when they may not really have the skills to hire people, and then that person's mm-hmm. hiring, and that's how you get some of the it, chaos we it have all in goes, libraries. Yeah. And someone like me straight. comes in and Absolutely. is like, I'm a leader and I'm like doing things like, I, I use the accounting term of generally accepted library practices and everyone's freaking yeah. out because they've never done that before. And I'm like, well, this is how a library is yeah. supposed to work.
1: Right, right.
0: But I know I've and seen a lot of like with... the, the nearest warm body theory of hiring.
1: Yeah. And this is how you end up with sort of uh, library director superstars because directors who can do a really good job and lead people become so rare that you know they get covers of library journal and and all of these things and they're doing great work but it should be far more common that 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 work is being done i think um you know i i think like our local public library does a great job and they have an excellent director um but yeah it it makes you sad for the places that don't and you see these places struggle and you know lose branches and lose people and and all of those things and it it doesn't have to be that way.
0: Well, I'm very lucky in the Chicago area, northern Illinois. We have so many resources. We probably have mm-hmm. three, you know, networking groups for any task you can think of. And there's so much training mm-hmm. and almost all of it's free, and there is no reason that people cannot at least go online and watch a management video or watch a video on right. cataloging or handing handling hard conversations or there's so much free training available that's funded by the state Mm -hmm. mostly. Um, But if, you know, if people need to recognize they need the training and they need to have someone telling them, here's some training you can go to. I'm sending you to this class or it's all about leadership and developing employees. And we've lost a lot of the training. Yeah. You have
1: have to empower your employees. That's right. 100%. That's just absolute bare minimum um to to want they need to want to be better at what they do and i know lots of people who do who don't they don't know how they're either maybe they're first generation librarians or they're you know they're just not uh, they don't understand what the what the the pathways are and what the, the steps are and yeah we need those leaders to to step in and and lift them up. Um, So that libraries become better period
0: and i love professional development i love conference i love associations so i'm the opposite where i'm like here are Mm -hmm. 75 meetings you can go to this week and learn something and they're like we also have a job to do lorraine we have to be doing some work like go to conference go to this session here's the thing i'll go with you you know they're just like we never had this before so like it takes a minute to like let me like catch my breath Mm -hmm. and maybe go to a couple of these but i can't do all the stuff you want me to do.
1: Yeah, oh, there's definitely a balancing act. Yeah, definitely.
0: So the big question, why did you go to library school? And based on your career so far, does that reasoning still hold up?
1: Ooh, that's that's deep. Um, <laughs> so so I'll, I'll give you the short version. So when I was 35, I went back to school full time. Um, I had been laid off this was 2008, um, I, I worked for a hotel uh, management company that it was 2008, so there was a financial crisis. I was laid off. I went back to school because I had not gotten my bachelor's degree um, and we had just moved to Maryland. So I went to the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, uh, Retrievers, um, and I went back full-time. I got a student job in the library there. Um, my wife had had already gotten her library degree, and, and so I I knew a bunch of librarians. I was like, oh, this seems like fun. Um, so I started working in the special collections uh, at UMBC, and I fell in love with it. I was absolutely hooked on this sort of mix of stories and documents, and um, you know their their special collection focuses on uh, photography and science fiction, it, it was created in the 60s. So it's very much of that time. Um, and it was just great. And I was like, okay, I'll go to library school. You know, I, I knew I wanted to go to grad school. What for? I hadn't figured out yet. So I got my degree in sociology. I went to library school. Um, I was thinking at, at one point I wanted to work with government records, uh, but really I wanted to go back to working with sort of special collections um and the archives around that so uh you know i i just wanted to sort of find that spot that sweet spot where i was happy in my work and doing good work and it seemed like archives was was going to be the place and um you know i had a lot of fun in grad school i worked at the university of maryland archives while i was there um with ann turcos was just fantastic and was an amazing mentor um in terms of sort of understanding that the role of the archivist within an institution that big, um, you know, she was basically she was an institution there when I was there, and and was part of the alumni networks and and all of these other things and athletics and and I saw um, sort of good good archiving models, and so I I was like okay I can do this, so I I uh, stuck with it and. Um, Worked, I worked at a boys' school in Baltimore for a while as an archivist. Uh, that was my first full-time job at a library school. And then moved to Bowling Green in 2016 to take this job. And then um, was there for almost a full five years. It was four and a half years. Um, I learned a lot and I really enjoyed the work. Um, the job wasn't always great, but that's, that's libraries for you. Um, so yeah, I think that my reasoning for going, which was telling stories and working with stuff that no one ever sees, um, you know, and sort of opening those doors, right? Like that idea of if a box is just on a shelf and no one knows it's there, it's a paperweight really. And so, you know, opening those boxes and and opening the doors, um, is something I still am very passionate about. And something I still enjoyed doing. Um, you know, right now I've sort of uh, taken on the subject specialty of romance novels, uh, which was something I picked up at Bowling Green as sort of uh, understanding uh, that it was an area that hadn't really been explored academically, or was just beginning to be explored, um, and it wasn't the history of it wasn't well known. So I. I think you know I sort of saw that as an opportunity, and I've I've run with that uh, until until I kind of figure out what the next thing is, and then we go from there. So, you know, I think that I learned a lot, and I'm I'm very happy with that decision to go to library school all those years ago, all those years. It was it was ten years ago. It wasn't that, <laughs> long ago, but yeah.
0: Well, that's really great. I like what you said about um, the archives, like being able to find things because. The basic of a library is organizing information so it's findable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And yeah. like archives are the same thing. Like it, archives you're organizing, yeah. you know, the history of your organization or of a topic so that it's findable.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I think the, the outreach- Or discoverable, part I guess is so probably important. the better word. Discoverable,
0: you've already found it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly, discoverable. And then sort of taking it out to the people and saying, Hey, you are the group that should be interested in this. Look at how cool this is, or look at how interesting this is. Um, I think that that is that is a step that uh, is vitally important, and I think that is something that is developing for archives, but it it's a ways away. I I have always said that archives need um, just like museums have museum communicators, who are, are sort of the outreach people. I. I've always believed that archives need archives communicators who, are, you know, able to go out to the, the interested parties and the stakeholders and say, "Look at this cool thing I found!" Right? Like it might be a piece of paper, but it's still an interesting thing and it impacts this, this, and this. Um, you know, so I think being able to tell those stories is is fascinating and uh, vital for for the future of archives in a lot of ways.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your stories. And a lot of people are going through things at work and, you know, you think you're the only one going through something and it's not something you can always talk about with your coworkers or publicly, but I appreciate you sharing your stories because you're going to, you're going to help a lot of people.
1: Yeah. I mean, as my favorite radio DJ says, you are not alone. And I I think that is, that is vitally important uh, advice for everyone is you are not alone.
0: And stay tuned for the uh, information, the login information for the week-long symposium that Steve and I are going to have on libraries and job hunting. <laughs> will yeah. a good deal. <laughs> yeah. Thank you to Steve Amadown for being my guest today on the Librarian Linkover. Thank you to my listeners who have been so supportive and sticking with my podcast. Thank you to everyone who's catching up on all 60 episodes. Please comment on the episodes on the LibrarianLinkover.com or on social media on Twitter or LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening.